Welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. This episode is going to cover business performance and gap analysis. If you're following along and studying for the CPLP exam, then this is a uh, Area of Expertise 1, Subsection 3. So it's classified as performance analysis in the CPLP certification handbook. And when I was looking through this uh, training system, it's called Business Performance and Gap Analysis. So we'll go with that. So in this episode, we're going to talk a bit about performance analysis, so how organizations use and need it. Uh, There's several factors that affect an organization that should be considered during an external analysis. So we'll talk about that. I'll describe about goals related to the project scope and uh, listing measurement criteria, whether objectives were met. I'll also describe the constraints analysis, so listing five limiting factors and describe the importance of cultural analysis. So what do we do for performance improvement and that culture audit? I will also review the components, there's five of them, of gap analysis and the concept of workflow analysis and what's exactly involved in the elements of this kind of analysis. I'll look at resource analysis as well as the tools to identify performance gaps and describe how to apply them, explain the purpose of the resource analysis and what that means for an organization. So this section is all about analysis and what we need to do to determine needs and issues. So first off, business analysis contains consists of three main tasks. So you're going to identify the critical goals for the appropriate business unit. When I say unit, that could be a division, a section, an office, a group, or one location. This is so easy if it's only one single unit. It gets a little bit more complicated with large and complex organizations. So there'll be other things I'll talk about and I'll mention in a second. The second analysis looks at clarifying that these are appropriate goals, which sometimes becomes an issue because leaders in an organization or the organization themselves need to change targets. They may claim allegiance to something they think is a problem or aren't really realistic or appropriate. So you want them to look at not being able to agree on the organizational goals or thinking about what those goals should be, especially if they're looking at pursuing contradictory policy actively and goals. And the third part of business analysis is determining how or if these goals are specific and measurable. So this may require refining objectives. So the evaluation and measurement are possible. So that might be the clarifying of the goals. So one thing that comes up when talent development professionals start going out and doing a business analysis is there might be competing and different ideas of what the goals should be at different levels of an organization. So it's really important not to have a rift with your working client, but determine the best fit and the best problem that aligns with the client's focus. So if these goals aren't clear, then a couple of good questions to ask are, what would success look like for this team, office, or division? Or you might even ask, how does the organization define what a good year looks like for the office? This might get the goals more clarified and understand how they want to measure and evaluate this gap once it's closed. So the business analysis phase is typically where talent development professionals gather information related to a series of issues. So external and internal factors could be impacting business goals. There might be a specific rationale for an objective, or maybe there's market trends or industry forces that are making this organization think it's time to change. So we want to look at the business analysis in three phases. 
the entry, the data collection, and the commitment. So entry is just when you meet your first meeting, when you're going to consult and ask, um, what's the perceived problem? You should have an open discussion with no idea or solution in mind. You really want to focus on strategic priorities of the organization and not uh, commit to anything like a, delivering a specific solution. So oftentimes managers or leadership might want to say, well, what do you think and what can we do? You have to move to the second phase to determine. So that's information gathering in the data collection phase. So this could be interviews with employees, executives, document reviews. So looking at annual reports, strategic plans, maybe org reporting and other things. Maybe they also have surveys or focus groups they've had already in the organization. And you want to see where they sit with your competitors. So in the industry, what are those external forces impacting where this organization and your client sits? The third is the commitment. So with this data, you return to get clarification on your agreement. And this is with evidence. So you want to be specific and you want to offer suggestions on what you're going to commit to based on the evidence gathered as what the deliverables will be for this project. So this data will be the basis for evaluating the results of the performance improvement effort and to establish what the priorities and goals should be for this initiative. So like I said before, sometimes you may need to persuade or correct your client's perspective on the problem. Their goals could be misguided, incorrect, or assumed, or anecdotal and not based on any data. So you really want to avoid any quick solutions at the very beginning when you introduce the entry. You want to collect that data in the second phase. And then this commitment will be... uh, expressing to the client what the priorities are, especially if they don't align with your own analysis. So that's convincing them by data and numbers and showing them what they could potentially be looking at. Another kind of analysis is performance analysis. So the goal for performance analysis is to measure the gap between the desired and the actual performance. Uh, Rosette had this um, finding example and framed it this way. For talent development professionals, To conduct this analysis, your job is to determine what initiatives or combination of initiatives will close that gap and have actual performance reach the level of desired performance. So the performance improvement initiatives are often more effective as you work in partnership and collaborate with stakeholders across the organization. This helps break down barriers and fully understands issues and outcomes. So I often um, have gone to do program reviews. I think about this with previous clients and I think about, well, what do they really want accomplished and how does this differ from what actually happens on the job? So this is looking at um, breaking down barriers and fully understand roles from your frontline workers, employees to those executive leaderships who have thoughts and suggestions on what matters on performance. This is reaching across the whole organization and really involving all stakeholders to understand the issue. I put a bonus read around performance analysis for instructional design because some of my listeners might do that. So uh, we'll get to instructional design too for area of expertise uh, number two coming up soon. Once you figure out the performance analysis level at actual and then expected, you're going to go to a project scope, which involves answering the three questions. One, what should performance look like? Two, what operational results should the organization achieve? And three, who are the stakeholders and other interested people or parties? This might include management, team leaders, and individual employees that will contribute. So this is kind of scoping out what they want to understand for performance and identifying what actually done means for this project or this initiative. So what does a successful conclusion look like for this project scope? This project scope is a big part of uh, project management 
I'm not going to get into that in this section or this podcast a lot, but I will touch points on that. So for those of you who do a lot more project management and scoping, you understand you need some boundaries and you need to understand what your goals are and when the end of this project is. So measuring both the desired performance outcomes and that criteria comes a lot from what I talked about earlier in the Human Performance Improvement Model, the HPI, created by ATD. So there's two types of evaluation, and my educators listening might know there's formative and summative, and those are very common. And formative looks at uh, the real root cause to how we have they been identified, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. It's all about root cause, so I won't get into it here. Other formative ways for evaluation could be uh, properly designed and selective initiatives, the client and stakeholders' expectations are met, and the initiative's working. And now it's to, now time to move on to the next performance improvement project. Summative will be the effect of the business performance goals, the cost of the initiative, as well as the expectations of the stakeholders and participants. And what they really want to know is that ROI, return on investment. So that's the ratio of benefit or profit received from a given investment. So the cost of the investment itself, they look at it as a cost benefit ratio. The idea is if I invest in this training, will I have better delivered services at the end or will my product change? And what will that look like? In this um, criteria, they both look at quantitative analysis and qualitative analysis, which looks different from what I would call as a researcher, um, because they deem quantitative analysis is measurable data or the quantities of a particular item are present in a situation or event. Qualitative analysis is non-measurable data, like individuals, uh, opinions, behaviors, attributes in the org. I would argue that qualitative is measurable, but maybe that's not what they're thinking of in terms of a numbers and account. So... That's what they define in talent, man- in talent management for quantitative and qualitative analysis. So the next section, we'll talk a bit about a few different other kinds of analyses that could, should come in in performance improvement analysis. So constraints is one of them. Constraint analysis identifies what might be the limitations within a potential project. So these are the barriers you should consider. It might include time, budgeting costs, scheduling, space, or resources available specifically if there are competing priorities. So what will block you from doing an analysis, performance analysis? The cultural analysis is another area that you should be looking at. It's an assessment to examine current practices, programs, and processes and identify how culturally appropriate they may be for multicultural or global audiences. So you can do this in a few different ways. And I put a link to the basics of culture audits. Um, It's a good article that was posted by ATD the Association for Talent Development, and they talk a little bit around everything from uh, the areas most frequently examined in a cultural audit, like the organization's mission, vision, um, the values, how they portrayed. And also they look at things like um, just things they've already looked at, the sources of finances, the histories, documents, data, internal, external studies, and things like that. There are also ways to find out the beliefs and values through research methods. So we know this, we can interview, have surveys, and just have direct observation of folks in the culture. So high-performing cultures in an organization typically encourage intrinsic motivation, flexible work environments, and are results-oriented. We also know that other high-performing cultures are inclusive, highly collaborative, um, they value talent, they encourage creativity, and they promote trustworthiness 
and enable transitions and building of knowledge is really important um, to reinforce participation and engagement in the org. So looking at this audit, I could see that it assesses a few things around behavior, um, types of leadership, and ways that they measure success. And there's a few different suggestions on methods and instruments. So it's a helpful article and a, and a bonus read I put in there. For performance gap analysis, this is a process that measures, describes, and compares what employees currently accomplish and what is required in the future. So they define in three factors, so I'm going to break these down. And these three factors um, offer you ways to consider what's going on in that gap analysis. The first is driving and restraining forces. Kurt Lewin, uh, sometimes coined the father of organizational development, created force field analysis, and this is the process to assess two types of forces interrelated to introduce a change within an organization that is driving, so helping to implement the change, and restraining that prevents this change from happening. The second is current state versus desired state. So to understand the discrepancy between the actual and preferred performance levels by asking the questions of clarifying why, specifying who, what, how, and listening for what people say, that isn't being done and determining who that customer is, is. So whether it's a service or a product, what does that customer want? And you can learn more a little bit there. I put a link for you to read on further. And finally, the last performance gap analysis uh, should be defined as methods for change. So change will happen either through the cycle of HPI, human performance improvement, or within an evaluation. So once you determine what the needs issues are in this organization. So the course for change is not easy. And we also always know that organization and its effect on people are influenced by change. So Russell and Russell define these two areas that primarily influence change. One is the change and the forces for change often introduce disruptions that can really diminish the organization's performers capacities to envision a clear and positive future. So in this, they're confused about what's going on. They're not really aware where they sit in that org. And we talked about that in, in the previous episodes. The path for change is also unpredictable. So what could happen in this? It could be a positive thing or a really not so positive outcome that might happen with this change. So for change management, ultimately, for it to be successful, you have to establish the need for change involve the people within the organization, and have a sustainment for commitment and whether that change moves forward so they can understand what will happen. I put a couple of interesting reads about this section within here uh, around performance gap analysis. Um, the uh, HBR Harvard Business Review has a Choosing Strategies for Change article that was really good, and then some suggestions and tools for managing change with tools and techniques. But change management comes up in a few chapters. So change management is in an area of expertise of number 10. So I'll get to that one later. Um, for now, um, the other areas that we were going to look at in performance analysis is the workflow analysis. So I don't know if you've done this, but it's really assessing how people, materials, methods, machines, and environment combine to add value to a product or service. So an example of this um, might be, I looked at an advising group on campus to see how they took in online students, how they interacted with them, what a student's life cycle coming in and out of a virtual office would look like, and how they would intake 
and then they would leave. So learning the ways that they use technology, understanding how uh, students found their advisors, um, this could be done in a bunch, a bunch of different ways. And it's really fun to kind of go ahead and do this. Um, obviously, there's ways you can observe this, but this analysis tool suggestion are looking at how the work is completed, what the individual is supposed to do, their roles and responsibilities in the process, and what kind of resources and systems are used. So suggested tools I've listed out are block diagrams or those flow charts. So those are really good for visually mapping. So this is drawing things in a system. This might be how you design an org chart. This summer, I spent a lot of time uh, drawing and doing some smart, uh, smart draw and draw.io charts. So those are good ways to represent standards, symbols that connect. Uh, I used draw.io this summer for a SQL course, a SQL course, and it was to say what kind of direction things would flow and understand within a database. But you can also do this within um, how people intake clients, uh, how they help support services to where things get built along the way within a production. Another great tool or technique they recommend is affinity diagrams or interrelationship diagrams. So these are very similar to one another. Um, so essentially affinity diagram, you know what this is. It's when you brainstorm a bunch of concepts and then you group them into categories or based on their natural relationships or ideas. So this might be a brainstorm and then you group them into buckets of things you want to cover and you create a label. So we've done this before. The other interrelationship diagram is simply a network diagram. So this charts the cause and effect relationships among groups of ideas, or it could be around groups of people. So networking these ideas and where they fit along. I put a couple links that you can go check out some other management tools to help you do some of that and templates as well into the show notes. So obviously for researching, we can do interviews, focus groups, and surveys and questionnaires. There's different ups and downs for each one of these. And I think that uh, as, as being an experienced researcher, I've done all of these. They are quite timely when it comes to interviews and focus groups because you have to ask questions, you're often recording, and then you're getting transcriptions and analyzing these later. I did put a link in there on a blog post I created on how to research interviews and asking good questions. Um, I do think there are some pros and cons of each, and I like how the CPLP learning system reading does go through it. I will say for interviews and focus groups, they do come out with rich data. They're clarifies a lot of things, gives ideas and expresses and builds on other people's ideas, especially if you're doing a focus group. One of the biggest cons or disadvantages might be the time it takes and making sure that you're getting um, representation of what people mean and you're also recording and then you have to go and read through some of these transcripts. But interviews and focus groups have offered much um, information and data that you wouldn't often collect from what's a survey or a questionnaire. Surveys are very inexpensive and you could do, yeah, people still do paper if you believe it or not, but online ones and digital ones, you can capture data, get quick results. And often um, they give you some ideas around attitudes and beliefs as well as that, but the disadvantages are how reliable are they? At face value, people might have some subject bias on there as they read through the questions. They may not answer it as honestly, and they it may not scale to the critical questions you want to know about the issues, but those are just some to consider. This is a topic I can go on for a long time. If you have other questions and you want to share more or you want to learn more about the, these processes in terms of research, happy to help and uh, get at me off the pod so we can have a conversation of how we do uh, this assessment and the gap analysis in terms of researching and getting the information evidence. 
The external analysis is one of the last ones. They talk about taking inventory of what's going on in the world. So what are some external factors that might impact an organization? I think of economic and social, political ones, obviously. So anything that goes on that's a new legislation, or if there is a interest rates or inflation going up in the economy, that's going to challenge some of our business ideas and performance issues. There are also a growing number of corporate responsibilities and green initiatives that are the social factors impacting orgs. We have um, just general workforce factors and trends going on. So we see that now as people have more options and ideas around gig economy, remote work and flexible work. Um, There's technological factors as far as things changing in how we work and in the market, as well as competitive factors. So where does the organization position itself against its competitors and what can they learn from benchmarking in the industry? The final one is resources analysis. So this takes inventory of what's going on within the organization. So what are the available resources they that can be used to determine a performance gap or to help with designing a potential performance improvement solution. That being said, there's often inhibitors or enablers that might cause gaps or solutions for performance. So some examples of um, enablers might be having really clear defined roles. Um, Maybe they also have meaningful incentive programs. Maybe they offer ergonomic design for physical offices. And maybe there's also transparency of work systems. So those might be some great enablers if you're working, and that might be a solution they look to. Inhibitors or barriers could be uh, the process or accountability of work is not clear. Maybe they don't have access to information, databases, or computer systems to perform the work they need to. Or the availability of support and help that's from expertise in their area is not there, so they're really frustrated. This can also be determined by looking at performance expectations and maybe even the employment history data. Is there a high turnover? Are there expected retirements? What's the future forecast for employment and hiring talent? So those are just a few of the ways you can analyze performance analysis. So the business, the gap, and the performance analysis is quite complex. And this is just a tip of the iceberg and a glaze over some of my study notes for this section. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have some suggestions or tools or processes that I should consider and really study up on and use in my own work, please let me know. Thanks for listening to the Learn Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.